how can teachers really uh, integrate, for example, gender responsive or gender transformative pedagogies so that, you know, not only are girls empowered to break free from, you know, the social constraints of gender norms, but also boys, importantly, are able to do so as well. As vozes do professor. Teachers' voices. Hello and welcome to Teachers' Voices, the podcast made from the stories of teachers from around the world, talking in their own words. Teachers' Voices is produced in partnership with Bold, the digital platform of learning and development. I am your host, Nina Alonso. I'm an educational researcher, and for the past 10 years, I have been devoted to improving equal access to education. Through my research, I meet teachers and educationalists with a huge range of experience, and they share with me their inspiring stories and advice. If you're interested in how children learn and develop, please subscribe. Today, I will be talking about a subject I am particularly passionate about girls' education. UNICEF says that gender equality in education benefits all children, but despite evidence, gender disparities persist. I was recently working on a project monitoring the state of education on the African continent for UNESCO, and I found a lot of evidence that countries with better gender equality in schools have higher economic growth. This happens in other continents too. There is also evidence showing that equitable education leads to better climate change adaptability. So please join me to talk about how to make quality gender responsive education something that all children can access and all society can benefit from. The effects that climate change can have on education and learning has been an important topic for this series of Teachers' Voices and I am delighted to welcome back a previous guest Christina Polk. In addition to her work on climate change, Christina is also a social scientist and a policy analyst specialized in girls' education. I have been looking forward to sharing her insights on gender equality with you. In this episode, we will also hear the fascinating stories of Barbara, a teacher working with five-year-old children in a primary school in Zambia, and Sonia, the director of a unique boarding school in the middle of a remote natural biosphere reserve in rural Paraguay. They both work on gender equality in their teaching practice, reaching both young children and adolescents in contexts where gender disparities represent a great challenge for societal progress. Christina Quoke spoke to me from her home office in the USA. So I am calling you today from Washington, D.C., in my home, where I now currently work. But inside my house, it is, uh, if you were to come inside, you would wonder, how in the world can you walk around without stepping on something? <laughs> my kids are, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's definitely not like my office when I used to commute to work, but uh, it gives it character. There's toys and Legos and stuffed animals and clothes and shoes everywhere. So that's, that's where I'm calling from today. When we discussed climate education in episode three, Christina highlighted the importance of addressing the adaptive capacity and resilience of marginalized groups, 
especially indigenous people and girls. We are going to hear an inspiring story of this in action soon, but first let's hear more about Christina Quoke's thoughts on the connection between girls' education and societal change. Why are we talking about girls' education? And I think, you know, the big key factor here is thinking about the underlying systemic drivers of vulnerability and gender inequality is a huge driver of that vulnerability. So it's important for teachers to understand what are the gender dynamics in their educational context and to really begin to think about ways of addressing those gender dynamics, you know, the gender relations of power, um, the gender inequalities, because even in contexts where girls might be doing better than boys in school, it's the underlying gender inequalities that prevent girls from being able to really actualize the returns to those educational outcomes, right? The economic empowerment, the sexual reproductive health and, and empowerment, you know, so much more beyond just educational attainment. And, and it's because of those underlying gender inequalities. How can teachers really integrate, for example, gender responsive or gender transformative pedagogies so that, you know, not only are girls empowered to break free from, you know, the social constraints of gender norms, but also boys, importantly, are able to do so as well, so that our social structures don't perpetuate toxic forms of masculinity, for example, or current <laughs> existing entrenched forms of patriarchy, as another example, you know, so it's really important for, for teachers to think about how they can begin to shift um, those underlying gender norms, gender stereotypes, gender relations of power that impact girls' lives and boys' lives in disproportionate ways. Um, it's really thinking about how can teachers address those unequal gender relations of power in her interdisciplinary research, Christina has also paid attention to the importance of gender equality in early childhood education. This is an observation I share in my own work. I find robust evidence showing that the concept of gender takes roots in children between the age of three and seven. To answer Christina's questions about how teachers can promote gender equality, we travel to Zambia in Africa, a country facing core development challenges. Barbara speaks from her classroom in the Chikombo Primary School where she teaches very young children. She speaks to you in a break so we can hear children coming in and out in the background. Let's hear what gender responsive teaching means in the context where she teaches. When we talk of gender roles, these are roles that are performed by both boys and girls or men and women. And then there are also traditional roles, like an, like in the olden days, I would say, when you talk about traditional roles, these are roles that were believed only to be done by girls alone or boys alone. For example, a girl would be sweeping, washing plates at home, and then a boy who will help the father maybe in gardening or going for fishing or farming. So now when we talk about uh, being gender responsive or gender equity, there we are removing that stigma. So we are saying both boys and girls are equal when it comes to roles. So it should be the same even in the learning environment. So we are trying to promote a gender responsive classroom. 
So this refers to teaching and learning processes that pays attention to the specific needs of boys and girls. We had a workshop with VVOB on gender response. We were given a toolkit. The toolkit that Barbara refers to was developed by VVOB, an international organization dedicated to improving access to education. VVOB has been focusing on contexts where gender-responsive education is more urgent, and it worked with the Forum for African Women Educationalists to develop useful resources for teachers. Barbara learned about this toolkit, and she told me how she has been incorporating it into her practice. So the gender-responsive toolkit equips teachers with knowledge, skills and attitudes to empower them to respond adequately to the learning needs of boys and girls through using a gender-aware classroom, processes and practices, and this includes using resources that promote equal opportunities for both learners, that is the boys and the girls. So the toolkit looks, talks about how a gender-responsive classroom should be arranged. So they were talking about the arrangement of the class. We are talking about the learning and teaching is that boys and girls should look, the environment, how it should look. The class should have uh, gender responsive uh, walls where we have pictures showing roles that men and women can do. If a girl can sweep a class, a boy can also sweep the class. We should not show on the charts to say only girls can sweep the class and then boys will just be outside playing. No, there we want to involve everyone. We don't want to leave anyone behind. So when it comes to roles, everyone should learn those roles. Then we are looking at the toys in the classroom. The color, there's nothing like, no, this color is for girls only. The bright colors are only for the girls. Then the dull colors are only for the boys. It should be neutral. Girls should also play with the cars and all those things. Also the boys should also play with babies on their backs. So we must mix all the toys for the boys and the girls. We mix them and every learner, whether boy or girl, must interact with those toys or learning and teaching aids. There's nothing like mathematics is only for boys. And then because the girls, they are the weaker sex. No, there we are trying to say there's nothing like a weaker sex. Even girls should take up challenging subjects in class. I asked Barbara how it was to start challenging stereotypes. Yes, I've had challenges in putting up a, a gender responsive class. I have had learners who have come out to say, no, the cars, the guns and all those cars, the balls, they are for the boys. And then the girls also who want to play with the doors and all those things that are found in the kitchen. As a teacher, gender responsive pedagogy has taught me that I should give my learners equal opportunities to, to interact with the learning and the teaching aids. I should not segregate. This task is for boys only or this is for girls only. So learning must be inclusive for both boys and girls. 
they must have equal opportunities. There should not be any segregation in class among the learners. The way you speak to a girl in a soft voice is the way you should speak to a boy in a soft voice. Treat learners equally. Barbara testimony reminds us how just deeply gender roles are written into society and how proactive we as educationalists and influential family members have to be to challenge what so many view as normal. And Christina Quoke explores this idea further to show how this work helps to create more resilient citizens and that benefits everyone. And, you know, again, when it comes to sort of the bare minimum, it's just ensuring that girls can stay in and complete school. The longer that they stay in school, um, we know that we have much better adaptive capacity. We have much better climate resilience, um, just much better outcomes um, for girls themselves and for their households. Uh, but we got to go from the, you know, that bare minimum to the transformative and the empowering. Uh, and that comes, that comes to play when we think about the quality of their learning experiences. And for teachers, that's the quality of their teaching, right? Um, the, whether, whether or not they, they uh, integrate gender responsive and gender transformative pedagogical approaches. We thank Barbara and Christina and travel from sub-Saharan Africa to Latin America. A few months ago, a great Peruvian educator and friend, Carlos from Colegio de Ciencias in Huanuco, Peru, told me about the inspiring story of a girls' school in a remote area of Paraguay. He told me that I should watch a beautiful film called The Totters of the Forest, portraying the learning journeys of girls taking care of the Maracayú forest while studying in a school inside a natural reserve. I watched the film and immediately wanted to interview the teachers who make possible such amazing stories. Sonia, the Maracayú school director and also a teacher, was responsive and generous from the beginning. Sonia greets us in English, but she does not speak English fluently, so you will hear a dub version of her own voice, but spoken by Esther Malfi. Hello, I am Sonia Sanabria. Uh, from Paraguay, from uh, Centro Educativo Maracayú. Estoy como directora del Centro Educativo Maracayú. El Centro Educativo es un colegio... I am the director of the Maracayú School Center. The center is an only girls boarding school. Our students are girls who are going to study here for the last three years of schooling. It is a technical upper secondary school specialized in environmental sciences. It is located in the middle of the natural reserve of Maracayú Forest. The reserve is a 64,000 hectares forest, so the girls are surrounded by nature, by a forest that is high tropical Atlantic forest with trees higher than 30 meters, around 100 feet. We mainly have indigenous girls, Guaraníes, Aches, peasant girls who come from the area of the reserve. Girls generally enter the school when they are 14 or 15 years old and they stay three years in the boarding school. We are in an area that struggles with poverty. 
we would even say that it's a highly vulnerable area in the country. In rural areas of Paraguay, gender inequalities are the norm. Families prefer to send their boys to the often distant schools and keep the girls at home to take care of younger siblings and help with household duties. So girls often only finish elementary school and do not have access to further schooling. The initial idea of the school was exactly that, to try to give girls access to quality education, an education that would allow them to become leaders of their communities. We want to subvert, or rather to redress the situation and possibilities of girls in this area where women are always set aside, mainly excluded from education, leadership, etc. This is why the project targets girls. We can tell beautiful stories about girls who have studied here, like, for instance, we had a girl from an indigenous community, from an Aceh community, who graduated here and was the first teacher in her community. And that is something very important for her and for the community she belongs to, you know. She is now teaching in a public school with a fixed salary. And it is so important because in Paraguay, indigenous people, and even more in the case of women, have scarce access to quality education. At a very early stage, they form families and have children when they are still very young. And this girl, even if she was already a mom and all that, she was able to finish the school here and then obtained a fellowship to study at university. She graduated with a bachelor degree in primary education, becoming the first qualified teacher in her community. And what is nice is that there are now other girls following her, because other girls see her as a role model. In the past, we used to have less indigenous girls, mainly because it is hard for them to complete more than the elementary school years, and even to access secondary school. But now, we have more and more indigenous girls who see these examples and want to come here to study. This kind of school is doing something similar to nurturing a root system for the girls, fostering the development of important attributes such as independence, self-sufficiency and entrepreneurial mindsets that then allows the girls to stretch out farther at graduation than they could dream of. Since the school is a boarding school and the girls live there, we need to help each other to be able to maintain the school. The school aims to be a self-financed independent school. So what does this mean? Well, it means that the contribution that the students pay for the schooling is a very small fee which does not even cover 10% of the real cost of maintaining the school. So we have different business units to be able to cover the expenses of the girls' education, an education which is in fact of quite good quality as the girls can even access classes like robotics 
in addition to their environmental science program. So this is how it works. We form groups in what we call Section A and Section B that rotate along the different areas that serve as experiential learning, complementing different knowledge that they learn in the classroom. For instance, we have a course called Agroecology and so we have an area with a kitchen garden and a nursery that they all take care of. We have also what we call the Maracayu Lodge, where the students also do internships, with an eco-lodge with cabins for visitors. The students are in charge of welcoming the guests. They even organize paths in the forest, and they are the forest guides. They also have an area of farming four kilometers far from the reserve, because farming animals are alien to the reserve, are considered exotic and cannot be here but we have eggs, milk, etc. from that farming area. The girls rotate and spend one month in each area during the first year, two months during the second year, and in the last year they stay six months in the area that they choose and want to be more specialized. They spend one week in the classroom and the other week in the field to be able to cover all these areas. I often say that each end of the year, the moment that I look forward to the most, because it is the most exciting for me, is the graduation day. That day means for me that those three years have passed by. For the girls, the boarding school is tough. They have to leave their homes and families behind when they are still quite young, and they have to live with girls from other communities So at the beginning, it is complicated, mainly the first year. There are several difficulties that come from sharing and living with others, even learning to eat differently, because students from different cultures come to live together to Marakheyu, you know? But really, when the student shows a significant change for her and for her community, is once She has finished her school years, you know, because when she is graduated, she can have access to a different life, like continuing with other studies, even university if she wants to, and has that possibility. But even if she decided or cannot pursue further studies, her life is very different, and she will be able to form a family from a different standpoint. She will encourage her children to also study. She will promote a better quality of life for her children. And that is why the moment when they complete their school years is so moving and thrilling. Sonia's experience illustrates what Cristina tells me. She also understands from her research. We know from research that at a minimum, just increasing girls' average years of schooling can be incredibly important for increasing their adaptive capacity and their climate resilience, not only for themselves, but for their communities and their households as well. But we also know that if that education is empowering, you know, it teaches girls um, a breadth of green skills, uh, provides them with leadership opportunities... 
The moving testimonial of how the girls in Maracayú complete their learning journey is in line with what research suggests about the relevance of helping girls stay in education for as long as possible. Sonia told me that graduated girls from Maracayú become the greatest protectors of the forest. Before we close, I'd like to leave Christina Quok to make one final point. But we also know that with greater levels of education, and especially if that education is of high quality and is empowering, that education can be a powerful driver towards gender equality. So addressing those underlying structural inequalities that have you know, put girls and women in uh, greater positions of vulnerability in the first place. We know that education can help you know, do the, create the opposite, you know, really empower girls and women. Educators and activists play such an important role in communities. We so often have to confront the consequences of inequality and disadvantage, so shining a light on this vital and often uncelebrated work is a huge motivation for me and is the inspiration behind the name of this podcast, Teachers' Voices. This is perhaps most obvious in the case of girls' education. Stories like Barbara's and Sonia's show that much can be achieved at the school and community level to build the foundations for an egalitarian society. I think it is important to remember that more than 130 million girls are out of school today. Gender-responsive pedagogies can help break down the barriers holding girls back. If you are interested in Christina Quok's research, in VVOB's Gender-Responsive Pedagogy for Early Childhood Education research on the Maracayú School and the film The Daughters of the Forest, please read the show notes and follow the links. You will also find this on Bolt.expert website. Also, the work of the Malala Fund is particularly valuable about advocating for girls' education from the community and local levels. Thank you for listening to Teachers' Voices. Do not miss our next episode on curiosity and creativity and how this can boost children's learning and development. Mm -hmm.